This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your Ingle Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I'm Maddie, and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie, Hi Mads, how are you today? I am good, how are you? I'm good, I'm sad that we're back recording online, like we are in the studio last time. <laughs> we had such a good run of a few studio sessions and now we're back online, but that's okay, it's still good old us. I've warned the housemates, no talking. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up on today's episode, we are chatting all things angel investing and startups. I feel like the startup space is, you know, incredibly interesting but it's also something that retail investors really struggle to access so I'm hoping that today's conversation we can kind of pull in elements of the startup space that we can use as investors like to use in our own investment decisions and journeys yeah completely agree I think there are some great lessons that you can take from the startup space especially the successful startup space and how we can really see how that can apply to investing in companies that are listed and that is why today we are excited to welcome Cheryl Mack to YIGC Cheryl is passionate about supporting the growth of the Australian startup ecosystem system. She's a mentor, a strategic advisor, an angel investor, and has recently founded her own startup, Aussie Angels, which provides startups with the resources they need to build the next world-changing companies. Cheryl, we are stoked to have you join us today. Welcome to Your Own Good Company. I am so excited to be here. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Now, Cheryl, what's the best thing that's happened to you in the past week or past seven days? Oh, so many things to name, uh, but something that I will call out is that I got to sit down with the team from Tech Central Sydney, which is the new precinct that is being built uh, around Central Station. And I got to sit down with the team and teach them a little bit about angel investing and talk to them about what's going on in the world of angel investing in Australia and what's needed and how to bring things together to really support um, the next generation of angels and founders. So that was so cool. I've never felt so listened to in a government building before. (laughs) I love that. And if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? This might be a random one. You might not know who I'm talking about because I'm that weird person that doesn't name like Warren Buffett. But um, (laughs) my person is Naval. Naval is the founder of AngelList. And the reason is because uh, I am building the Australian version of AngelList syndicates. And so I would love to sit down with that man and pick his brain. Yeah, you'd probably get a lot out of that dinner and then be able to transfer it over to Australia, which would be great for us. So we want that dinner to happen as well. And if you could be a stock or company, who would you be and why? I Again, like probably AngelList or Gumroad, actually. Again, out of left field one, like Gumroad just raised from their community of 
people who are using the product rather than actual investors. And I think that is super cool. Like whenever you democratize access to something, I think that that is exactly what the world needs. So probably Gumroad. Can you quickly explain what Gumroad is? Yes. So Gumroad is basically for people who want to start their own business. Say if you want to start like an e-commerce business or if you want to start a side hustle or like your own gig um, type thing, you can get started really quickly and uh, test what works and be able to essentially jump on, create your own side business. If it works, great. You continue. If not, you can try something else. And I think that really embodies the movement that is happening in the economy right now around wanting to have ownership, wanting to uh, be able to create your own future. And that's really, that's what they do. They allow you to create your own future. I think that's really cool as well because you can kind of test the waters a little bit. Like if something fails, it's like, nope, that was a fail. Let's move on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Cheryl, we wanted to jump into a little bit about you and your background with your work uh, in with Aussie angels. But first, because we've mentioned the term a couple of times, what is angel investing? Ah, what is angel investing? It's this kind of, you know, generic kind of abstract term that, um, you know, there isn't really like a tick mark. You know, when you when you go to law school, you take the bar, you know, somebody gives you a, hey, tick, you're a lawyer now. Uh, angel investor is one of those titles that no one officially ever gives you. Uh, you either, you can assign it to yourself or not. But essentially what an angel investor is, is somebody that puts their own capital into extremely early, very risky businesses. And most of them go to zero. Most of them make no money and you lose your money. Uh, but the one or two that make it really big tend to make it really big, like 100x. So they cover all of the losses on the other ones and then some. And we call them angel investors because really angels are coming down to fund businesses uh, that really shouldn't be funded. And it's very, very risky capital. So can you tell us a little bit, I guess, about how you got into angel investing and the startup space a bit more broadly? Yes. Actually, it's a funny story. I never intended, I didn't set out to be an angel investor. And four years ago when I started, there wasn't angel investor courses like there are now in Australia. So the way that I got into it, I kind of fell into it. I was, uh, I'd built a company and, you know, we were doing pretty well. Um, My background was in marketing or still is, I guess, my background's in marketing and and storytelling and branding and go to markets strategies. And I was uh, talking to a startup and they said, hey, Cheryl, like, you know, we'd love for you to come work for us. We can't pay you, but we can give you some equity as in a piece of their company instead of cash. And I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Uh, And then another one kind of said the same thing. They're like, yeah, we'd love for you to work with us. You know, skill set, awesome. Um, Can you can you come work for us? But we don't have any money. Pay it. We'll pay you in equity. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Like, you know, it's just my time. What's that worth? Right. Um, And then, you know, I was, you know, so I was working for these companies and I was having a chat with one of the founders one day and and he said, oh, yeah, we're just trying to close our funding round. Uh, you know, we're trying to finish raising. We've raised, you know, 480000 of the five hundred that we're trying to raise. And I was like, oh, 20000 that, That's what's left? Oh, I could do that. Like, if that helps you get back to running the company, like, I, yeah, all right. Like, I'll write that check and then we can be done with this whole fundraising round thing. Uh, and then that happened again. You know, it was another founder that I was working with and they were like, oh, we're just trying to close our round. It you out, bit of easy money. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, two companies in and I go, ooh, 
don't know if I'm allowed to swear here, but shoot. <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. I think I think I'm like investing a little bit. So I like called up some of my VC friends, venture capital friends, and I called up some of my other angel investor friends and I'm like, "Hey, um so I think I might have started angel investing. What do I need to know?" And they were like, "Well, okay, so the Bad news is that you, you're probably going to lose that money that you've already invested. The good news is that if you stop now, you probably won't lose any more money. Um, <laughs> and I was like, mm, okay, uh, is there an option B? And they were like, yes, yes. Uh, option B is if you keep going and invest in like eight more, uh, you have a chance at making it all back and then some on these companies. You'll probably still lose that money that you've invested already, but you have a chance at making it all back. And I go, okay, great. I, I choose option B. So I double down and here we are four years later, 22 companies later and a couple funds and yeah. I'm so curious to know, did you lose your money on those first two investments that you made? Not yet. Oh, so they were wrong. Well, <laughs> arguably, arguably we're still to find out. Um, I think probably I will on one of them. Yeah. One of them is one of those companies where like, I think I over-indexed on the, the tech and the product rather than the founder in those early days. I got really excited. I was like, yes, this is awesome, like amazing, rather than like, is this the person that is going to build this company? The other one that was doing really well. So they, they were probably wrong on that one. Like they've raised the next round. It's already like three to five. I think it's like five X already. It's like five. It's worth five times as much as when I invested already. Uh, so that one's doing really well. So they were wrong on that front. Uh, but the thing is with angel investing, you tend to see your losses sooner than your gains uh, because your gains, it, it, particularly like in terms of actually getting cash out of your investment, getting the like return on your investment, that typically happens on a five to 10 year period. Whereas uh, your losses in terms of the companies that fail, that typically happens between two to four years. So already in the first four years that I've been investing, I've had two losses as in the company failed and I've lost my money, uh, but I have not actually had any exits. So no company has returned more money than I have invested. A lot of the companies that I've invested in are worth more than I invested, but nothing has actually returned the money yet. Um, and that's because I'm only four years in. These t- these things typically take five to 10 years. So I'm at least, at least, if not longer, a year away. <laughs> so I am really curious then, because it obviously does seem like a bit of a, a risky game, and I'm not sure how you sleep necessarily at night, <laughs> but... What do you love about investing in the startup space? There are a number of things that I love. One of the things that I love is that while it's speculative and risky, it's not volatile. Uh, And I'm the type of person that is a little bit emotional and my mood can be swayed by something as simple as, you know, my friend being upset for the day or, uh, you know, losing my ice cream on the street or missing the train or, for example, the stock market being down and my portfolio losing, uh, you know, twenty to $50,000 in a 24-hour period. Let's not talk about it, shall we? <laughs> so what I found, um, and in particularly over the last two to three years, I, and I think the, the catalyst was the start of COVID when things really dropped, I, looking at the portfolio of ASX stocks every morning was really affecting the mood in my household. My my fiance and I, like I could tell when our portfolio was not doing well because the mood would just 
be not good. It would be down or it's just not good. And then the days where like it'd be like it's up. I could tell it was up. And I really did not like that the mood in our household was dependent on a little number on a stupid screen that was being based off something completely irrational. Like the stock market is not rational. It's based on human irrationality that has nothing to do with the value of these companies. So slowly over the period of 2020, we pulled out of the ASX. And that was the point where I realized I much prefer something that I invest my money and I do everything I can to help that founder. But at the end of the day, it's going to go to zero or it's going to go to 10, 20, 28, 20 times my investment. But if it goes to zero, it's going to be one minute. I think, okay, great. This is a company that's doing okay. I've got the last update. But tomorrow they send me an email and go, hey, we're, we're shutting down. We didn't make it. Cool. Money's gone. All right. Well, <laughs> you know, I might feel shit for that one day, but yeah. it's it's not an up and down. So that that's probably one of the first things that I would say is that uh, it is – while it's much more speculative and risky, it's less volatile. And uh, I appreciated that. I guess it's kind of cool as well, because as an angel investor, you can actually sort of get um, into and help out with the management of the company. So like you can, to an extent, have a bit of control or some input into how well the company performs too. Exactly. And that's one of the best things. And that's my next one is like, what do I love about angel investing? I love that I actually can have an impact on helping these companies. Uh, whether it's, you know, shit's hitting the fan and I got to jump in and make sure that like we don't lose some contracts. Cool. Or if it's strategizing how to do the next raise or if it's making connections to potential customers. Like typically when I angel invest and there are a number of different ways that you can angel invest and I can go into those if you'd like. But um, one of the ways that I do so is when I actually invest directly. So I put the money into the company directly and I sit on their capitalization table when I do so, I only choose companies that I know I can help if needed. I'm not pushy about it, but I know that I could help if needed. Uh, and so that's fun to know that, you know, this is a company that I can help. And generally I do help. And then the other one is that like you get to choose. When you angel invest, you get to choose exactly which companies you're supporting. And to me, I see that as supporting the future of Australia. I know that sounds corny, but it's like... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Heard it here first, folks. <laughs> in an ecosystem where anywhere from, you know, nobody has exact numbers, but anywhere from 2,500 to 5,000 companies are being formed each year. Me being able to say, this is the company I want to put my money into because I want to see this company exist sometime in the future means that I'm having an indirect say in what I want, or actually a direct say in what I want the future of our country to look like because I want this company to succeed and I'm giving them money to succeed. So I feel like I'm fueling the next generation of what I want in the world and my ecosystem. I think that's also that can be related as well to I know that you just said that you don't invest in the um, stock market, but I think that's something that Maddie and I always discuss as well, like with investing that you can actually choose companies to invest in that are making an impact. And I know that these days a lot of companies are public, so you still kind of have that variation. It's not as much as angel investing where, you, you know, there's the real startup space and a lot of companies coming through. But I think that's one of the best thing things about investing. We can follow your passions. Oh, 100%. And actually, 
I do appreciate that about Australia. In Australia, uh, you can do a Series B or you can basically list. Um, it's it's easier to list as a smaller company on the ASX than it is to list anywhere else in most um, developed countries in the world. Um, and so that means that you have a lot of really micro cap or small cap companies um, that are listed on the ASX. And so you, you can actually like... It, there are companies that are at the same level at which I'm investing directly that are private that are there are the same level companies that are on the ASX and you can put your money at that place. Just again, no, those companies tend to be volatile. Um, and those types of companies, like it, you can also do your DD on them. In fact, if they're listed, you can do a lot more DD on them due diligence um, than you can if they're private companies. So you can you can almost play the same game um, while still not necessarily investing in in private unlisted companies, uh, which I think is pretty cool. So Cheryl, you have also just founded your own startup, Aussie Angels, which is doing some incredible work to support the Australian startup landscape. Can you tell us a bit more about how Aussie Angels works? If you are an angel investor and you want to pool your capital with another angel investor, i.e. put your two checks together into one entity that goes into that company, uh, in Australia, that's not really easy to do. And I had an issue with that because I was like, if I want to invest, I want to diversify my investments as much as possible. So that means smaller check sizes, more companies, right? This is basic investing principles that, you know, I've only... Diversification. Exactly, you know, <laughs> diversification. It's like Wolf of Wall Street, right? Diversification. Um, <laughs> so when I was looking at starting, like when I was angel investing, I looked at it and I said, great, I want to do, I want to invest in more companies. Well, how do I do that? You know, I'm not infinitely rich. I don't have millions of dollars. I don't have a family office. Well, I need to reduce my check sizes so that I can invest in more companies. What's the best way of doing that? Well, if I put my money with other investors, then we can still meet the minimum check sizes that startups tend to want. And then, you know, we can get into these companies. Um, Turns out doing that, though, comes along with a ton of regulations. And when I realized that, I was like, okay, I'm going to start my own syndicate. Great. Starting a syndicate seems easy, right? Um, No, unfortunately, (laughs) that is not easy. I was going to say, I suspect that's rhetorical. (laughs) Yes, it was difficult and costly. It's basically a $50,000 to $100,000 problem to do in Australia. Wow. And along that journey of doing that, I was like, well, if I'm going to build it for me, I may as well build it for everyone else. Love that. So kind. Thank you. Right? <laughs> so I set out to find a solution to not do, to not spend $50,000 to $100,000 to do a angel syndicate and ended up doing everyone else's. So now I run a lot of, I do the back end. Essentially, that's what we do. We run the back end of an admin side of anyone who wants to run their own angel syndicate. Here's the cool part though. Um, so that that's the boring admin like functional, what do we do? Here's the cool part. Um, if you are uh, an angel investor in Australia and you want to pool your money with other angels and access really cool companies that you might not get into because you don't have the relationship with the founder, um, prior to launching Aussie Angels, you had about 10 options to do that. 10 places where you could find syndicated deal flow, pull your money. Um, and your minimum amount that you had to put in was $10,000. Since we've launched Aussie Angels, there are now 14 additional 
So wow. 26 now total. So I've, I've more than helped double the number of angel syndicates that you can join as an angel investor. And you can put a $5,000 check into those companies. So we have doubled the number of places and halved the minimum investment that you need to make. I find that $5,000 figure really interesting because whenever I read about angel investing, I always think of it as something that like I could never access. I always think of it as a check size of, you know, 50, 100 plus grand to put in. So it is pretty cool that it's kind of democratizing this space because $5,000 for people that can save up to invest is accessible to a larger portion of our population. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. Because there are a lot of people who are able to invest those types of check sizes. And even like, it's not that you need $50,000 per company. You can have $50,000 total and still get a diverse portfolio through Aussie Angels by putting $5,000 checks into 10 companies. And that's the recommendation, right? If you, if you want to do angel investing, we recommend, actually not we, sorry, this is not financial advice in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Disclaimer for the whole episode. But the general recommendation, not from me specifically, is a portfolio of at least 10. Uh, so by reducing that, like by offering opportunities to invest, you can have just $50,000 and still get a really diverse portfolio in terms of startup investments. So no, if you're thinking like I need $50,000 per company, not true. I, this is something like I got started when I got started. Yeah. I mentioned my, my first check was 20,000. Actually my first and second checks were 20,000. But as soon as I knew what I was doing, I reduced my check size to 10 K and I was, I was not even sophisticated at that time. I talked my way onto cap tables I talked my way on to investing directly with startups. I basically said, hey, you want me, you're going to let me come on to your cap table with my $10,000 check when your minimum is 25. And this is why. We need more of that confidence around, Talia. Cheryl, I'm very excited to hear what kind of companies and what kind of industries that you are investing in. But we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we're going to be right back to discuss the industries that you believe have a great potential investing opportunities. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So the Aussie startup space is really starting to make a name for itself. I know that you've mentioned in previous podcasts that when you first arrived in Australia in 2015, there was less of a startup space. Can you tell us a little bit about what it looked like and how it's changed over the past six to seven years? When I came to Australia in 2015, I was already in the startup space in Canada. But when I landed... But there was no startup space in Australia? I wouldn't say there 
there was none. That's probably an exaggeration. But uh, compared to the West Coast of Canada, it was nearly negligible. And I think I've seen the scale and speed at which that the startup ecosystem has scaled over the last five to seven years. I've been here seven years now, so five to seven years. And I think that is what's got huge potential for Australia. Like we've been able to move and like close the gap in terms of uh, the ecosystem in a span of half the time that the U.S. did it. And I think that's exciting. Well, we saw, we've seen like a lot of companies like Atlassian, Canva, Afterpay, just to name a few kind of come through the ranks. And I guess it is really interesting to kind of watch these tech companies and how they've been evolving in the Australian landscape. But what do you think the future of the startup space looks like in Australia? Yeah, that's a really good question. Don't quote me on this team. I've been known to... (laughs) I've been known to be wrong before, but I think the exciting uh, spaces to keep watch on are anything that puts more control back into the user or the consumer's hand. Um, So things like user-generated content, things like e-commerce that are direct-to-consumer, D2C, um, things that democratize access to things that people wouldn't have had access to otherwise, Um, anything that is essentially taking control that used to be Um, tightly held by large corporates and putting it back into the hands of people that are filtering their money into different products, uh, companies, services. That's that those are the industries that I think that we're going to see explode and uh, have a, a huge impact on the future of where our economy goes. Speaking of things that are tightly controlled, We know that stat that seems to come up every single year and it's like female founders share just around, I think it's 2% of total capital raised. Why? 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 (laughs) (laughs) No no longer question there, Matt. Just just tell me why. why? (laughs) Oh, man, so many reasons. Really frustrating reasons. Um, But things like, first of all, it's a numbers game. Uh, When you don't have enough founders who are women, then of course the number of women who get money is just simply going to be less because it's it's a proportional thing. Um, So even if we had equal amount of money going to women and men in terms of businesses, if there are just less women to invest in, of course there's going to be less. So that's the first thing that compounds everything else. Um, The next one is that typical venture... I tend to invest in things that women are less likely to found. So if I look at all of the businesses that have been pitched to me over the last, say, 12 months uh, that are founded by women, so, you know, not just like a female-led business, but like founded by women, a significant majority are more lifestyle, not lifestyle, but more things that are traditionally women. So uh, things like e-commerce, things like fashion, things like, community. like yeah, community stuff, which typically, particularly in Australia, uh, aren't the most attractive to VC money. Um, and here's the kicker. You know why they're not attracted to uh, these, like VC uh, is not attracted to these particular industries. And and by the way, this is changing and there are a number of funds that are changing this and I really appreciate all of the funds that are. So props to all of you. But you know why? Because 
The people who are sitting around the IC table, being the investment committee table, the people that make decisions as to who gets money and who doesn't, they typically do not have vaginas. They typically are all (laughs) men. So the next reason why we aren't seeing a lot of money going into women is because the people at that table aren't women. So we need to change that because, of course, if you've got a bunch of men sitting around a table saying, well, why would I invest in this bra company? I don't understand it. You know, what? what's the market for bras? Why is this really a painful problem? Like all of the questions that you ask when you're evaluating a company, if you just aren't putting a, a female lens on it because you don't have a vagina, well, of course you're going to say this isn't a good investment. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have that perspective that you want to be able to use. And if you have that perspective, you can better understand whether that company is actually going to have impact or not. But that's where that whole diversity factor comes in because women make up more than half the population. So if you're going to have more than half the population using something just because you won't use it, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be successful. And like on one hand, you know, I don't want to fault them because the advice that you give new investors is look at things that you understand and you know. You know, I don't try to invest in med tech companies. I don't try I don't try to invest in B2C mobile games. Um, you know, because I'm just not good at consumer things. I, you know, in, in particular consumer mobile games. Um, so that that advice is sound. If you're gonna start investing, pick industries that you know that you're close with. If you do a ton of online shopping, like you might be a good, you might wanna look at the e-commerce industry. If you work at a bank, you might wanna look at FinTech. And and so that is sound advice. And I can understand why those people who are making those decisions aren't investing in things that they don't understand. Because the general advice is don't invest in things you don't understand. I think that's the coolest thing though, right, is that they're actually probably, that probably means that there is really great opportunity for us to explore that path because we can bring a whole new perspective to what potentially great investments look like. How do you think we can change or improve these statistics and get more money to female founders? Yes. So the first thing is that we need to put more women around the investment committee table. And there are a number of funds that are doing that. So it's, it, it, I think it starts there. Um, because that's something that you can do. If you're running a fund, if you're out there and you're running a fund, put women around your investment committee table. Um, Blackbird, Airtree, uh, SquarePeg, a lot of them are doing this, and I really, really appreciate that. OIF as well, our innovation fund, um, and Black Nova Ventures as well, just calling out the, the ones that are doing it and giving them some credit. Um, so these, this is, the, this is one of the first things. But then the next one is if you have money to invest and you want to invest in this asset class, Look at underrepresented founders, not just because you should, uh, but because actually they represent outsized potential returns. If there is a male-led B2B SaaS company and that male has exited a previous business, you better believe they're getting a 20x, 20, 20 mil valuation on an idea. You know, like it, if not more, that is good and great for them, but that female founder who is not that person who's you know got the 20 mil valuation represents an opportunity for untapped potential uh, so put your money in a place that is a really good deal uh, like if you're gonna go and invest in that company uh, on that 20 mil valuation the chances of you getting a 10x exit I mean 
maybe because they've done something in the past, sure, we call those hot deals, um, but hot deals aren't necessarily good deals. The ones that are good deals are the uh, miss, missed founders who are amazing people. Maybe they haven't exited before, uh, but put your money there. It's just, it's just good business. It's a good deal. Um, you have an amazing chance at getting a really, really good return on that. Um, the next one is it like you as a consumer, you have the power of choice and you have the power of putting your money in places to have an influence on what that means. For example, if you're just buying something, looking at where they sit in terms of pay equity from their executives to their lowest, that's something that can really help women in uh, in terms of like being more economically valued. Uh, looking at female like CEO businesses and putting your money there. Uh, so I could name a few like don't don't buy Nestle products. Uh, you know, go go and buy products that are led by female CEOs or have a really low executive uh, to lowest pay ratio. Um, these are things that help women all over the world. And when you empower women to build businesses uh, or just to have a better stance in life because they bring home a slightly higher paycheck, like that, those are the kinds of things that really have a flow on effect in terms of the economy of the whole world. But mostly like when you're looking at Australia, pick Australian brands that are doing good for the world that have gender equality, that have sustainable practices. These are things that actually make a difference. Um, and that's something that you can do as well. Like if you're not in a position to invest directly into a female-led business, then these are things that you can do at home with not any not any capital. Yeah, and I think the best thing about that these days is that we have so much access to information. So it's not even hard to find businesses that are run by women and products that are made in Australia. Like it's so accessible. It might not used to have been so accessible, but these days it's easily done. So I wanted to ask, you touched on a little bit, you know, what you were saying, finding a good leader is what kind of makes up a good startup. But I guess more broadly from your experience, what does make a good company? The first thing that I look at as the founder uh, the person that is going to build this business, I'm like, is this the type of person that I want to back? Um, regardless of what the business is, like, that's the first thing that we look at is, you know, I have a chat with them and say, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, is this the kind of person that I would work with? Is this the kind of person that I think would be able to lead a, you know, right now they've got a two-person company or a five-person company. What would they look like if they were leading a 100-person company? What about a 1,000-person company? What about a 20,000-person company? If they were the CEO of Atlassian, like, do we think that this is the type of person who's going to be able to handle that and grow with this company? Uh, you know, yes, you can replace the CEO, but it's not ideal. You know, nobody can, nobody can drive that vision. The next one is like, is this person going to be able to attract good talent? Uh, one of the things that people think, oh, I need to have a really good pitch so that I can get investors. As an investor, I'm looking at it and going, you need a really good pitch because I need to know that you're going to be able to sell like talent. I need to know you're good at pitching, not because you need my check, but because I need to know that you're going to be able to build the team. And then I look at, well, is there a big enough market here? Is there a painful enough problem and enough people who are experiencing that problem that they're, and they're willing to pay for it to be solved? And then the next one is, are you the right person to be solving that problem? So you could be an amazing founder and you could be trying to tackle a huge problem. But if you have absolutely no experience in that particular space, I'm going to go awesome founder, big problem, not the right person to solve it. 
So kind of like those three things need to come together as a really first step for me to be able to say, I'm interested in writing a check into this company. And I think all of those things are totally applicable to all investments. Like they are, like we said, they are what make up a good company and they are what make a really scalable company. So I think that can be a great investment thesis. So Cheryl, I am really interested to hear about, I guess, what is on your radar at the moment. So I think it brings us very nicely to our watch list. Each episode, we ask our guests to add a stock or company or even news trend industry to our watch list. And the purpose of this really is just to get us thinking outside the box and just broaden our horizons in the investing space. Of course, we are not financial advisors and this does not constitute financial advice. But what are you bringing to the watch list today? Um, so you've already heard that I don't invest uh, in listed stocks anymore, uh, but what I would like to bring is a piece of news that I think is very relevant to this space uh, and anyone who is considering potentially getting a job at a startup. And that is that recently they have announced that they are going to uh, make some changes to the ESOP, uh, which for those of you who can't remember what that acronym is, myself included, is the Employee Share Option Plan, ESOP. Uh, and essentially, you don't need to know the acronym. All you need to know is that if you go work at a startup, uh, one of the main reasons you would do so, it's not because of the mildly um, mildly reduced pay and fast-paced environment that it becomes stressful. It's because... If you go work at a startup, you get equity. And that means that you get a little teeny slice of that company. And if you help it grow and nurture it and pour water on it and it grows up into this big company like Uber, um, Uber is a bad example. If it grows up into this big <laughs> company like uh, Airbnb, then your little teeny tiny slice can be worth millions of dollars. So what have they done to the ESOP recently? Or actually what they're planning on doing is they're planning on making it easier for you to keep that equity. So they're removing the tax requirements, um, which is a really good thing because if you're going to risk, essentially it's opportunity cost, right? If let's say you've got a nice corporate cushy job, you make, you know, $100,000 a year and you're, you know, you're happy with that. Um, why would you risk that to go work at a more risky company that could shut down tomorrow and not be able to pay you? Well, the answer is, for the perspective or potential of making millions of dollars in, you know, a couple of years time rather than, you know, your $100,000 a year with a 3% increase and a 20K bonus. This is a really important one to help bring smart talent into this ecosystem that is going to help create the next 20,000 jobs in this country. That is a very interesting one. And I have to ask, obviously, before we let you go, because we have you here and all your incredible experience, are there any companies that you're particularly interested in in the future and or one that you think could make a real impact on the world as we know it? I mean, like I want to say my, my company, Aussie Angels, <laughs> obviously. You can say that. <laughs> Genuinely, because we are, we are democratizing access to this asset class and like the fact that we've have the amount that you need to invest to be able to get in, I think is really impactful. But I would also say that there are a number of startups that are coming through the ranks that are focused on climate. And we have a number, even on Aussie Angels, we have a number of climate tech focused syndicates 
that are looking to support in this space. So while I can't name them specifically, I'm really excited that this is a category that is getting a lot more attention and a lot more funding. And I think that that is going to be really helpful for our future and, you know, not burning. A category two that I think there is an episode required, I reckon. I think it's a, it's an, it's an area that Soph and I are very interested in, but it comes up again and again in our Facebook community and in our DMs. Like people want to know, they want to align their portfolio with their values. And I think that's the coolest thing about investing is you can align it with your values and you can invest in things that you are really passionate about and can kind of, I guess, change the world in doing so. Actually, I do want to add one to that because you said investment. Um, There is a company that I'm really excited about that you made me think of. It's called Bloom Investing, and it is an investing platform open to retail investors uh, that is impact investing. So if you are thinking about putting your money in a place that is going to have that impact, particularly on things like climate, um, definitely check out Bloom Investing. I love it. We will make sure that we link that one in our Facebook group. But before we let you go, Cheryl, if you could have one piece of advice that you would give to yourself when you are starting out on your investing journey, what would that be? Pick an amount that you are willing to sacrifice to the startup ecosystem in order to see the future that you want to see. Um, And I use the word sacrifice in the place of lose uh, because it's not just that you're losing your money. That sounds like, you know, you're gambling. Um, this is sacrificing it for the greater good of our ecosystem. Um, that's not to say that you should or you have to invest your money in this asset class. It's extremely risky. But if you want to get into it, just pick an amount that you're willing to sacrifice and divide that by 10 and then find places to invest each of those 10 investments. I think that very much aligns with advice that we often get about the stock market. Just pick an amount that you're willing to trial with and learn from there because honestly, once you have your your skin in the game, that's when you do your best learning anyway. And I think that's really what we take from a lot of our interviews. So well aligned. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today. We have learned a lot from this podcast. Before we go, is there anything that you wanted to plug anywhere people can find more, find out more about Aussie Angels? Yes, please go to AussieAngels.com and uh, click on join syndicates or AussieAngels.com slash syndicates and take a look at some of the syndicates. Um, that are there. Read through their profiles. Mine is there. You can join mine. Uh, and even if you're not, uh, or either even if you're not sophisticated or you don't know what that means, pop your details in there. There's no fees to join. There's no commitment to invest required. Pop your details into the one that you are excited about, or all of them if you're excited about all of them, and we will go from there because there are things changing in the regulations around this space, and uh, we want to keep you informed. So there are lots of ways to just learn alongside of us, even if you can't see the specific wholesale deals. Very exciting. I think I'm off to do that right now. Thank you so much for joining us, Cheryl. (laughs) Excellent. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yet again, another episode where I feel like I learned so much and I'm going to listen back again because I feel like there was a couple of lessons in there that I want to just really nail down. (laughs) I just love doing this. I get so energized from all of our chats. It's so good. (laughs) I know tomorrow Maddie's will be texting me being like, so do you think I should work at a startup? Because that happens every time. (laughs) What? No, I love my job. (laughs) 
No, I actually do. As always, <laughs> please find us on socials. If you're new, YIGC podcast on Instagram and also the same handle on TikTok. Jump into our Facebook group. It's YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. Give us your thoughts on the episode or post any questions that you have. We love hearing what you guys think there. If not, if you don't do any of that and you're just tuning into the podcast, rate and review because that would be really helpful. We also have FinFest coming up, which is very exciting. So make sure you head over to the Equity Mates website and register your interest because you do not want to miss out. And when Maddie says coming up, it's in October, the 15th, Sorry. I think it is. <laughs> I'm just excited, guys. <laughs> But definitely check out those details. We'll be there, which is exciting. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week. Bye. You're in Good Company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of You're in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 